Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. I wonder, if I was to ask you the question, are you intelligent, what would your answer be? And where, I wonder, would you be getting the evidence for that answer? And, perhaps more importantly, I wonder what difference your answer makes to your sense of self, to your sense of your ability to contribute to the world and to society. And I think it's this last question which is the kicker and the reason why I think it's worth spending just a little bit of time in this slightly shorter episode to think about it. So we live in a culture, in a society where intelligence, in inverted commas, is highly valued and has been highly valued for quite a long time, even though nobody quite knows what that word intelligence means. It has tended to be equated with doing well in education, so with academic success. We spend quite a lot of our lives being part of an education system that sees its job as being about ranking people, putting people through a whole series of assessments that enable them in the end to be ranked as academically successful or not. And that becomes shorthanded into as intelligent or not. And as we go about testing people younger and younger, I think this potentially makes more and more of a difference to people and to their lives. The reason that this is so impactful is that we end up spending more than a decade in education at a point in our lives where we are developing our understanding of ourselves and of the world. And the things that we learn at this time in our lives can stick around in our psyches, in our subconscious, unquestioned for a very, very long time. And so you can end up meeting adults who will see themselves as not intelligent and see that as something which puts them below other people because we have been so much part of this society, part of this culture where intelligence has been so highly valued. In actual fact, there is not a clear definition of what intelligence is. There are IQ tests which are designed to look at a particular kind of problem solving and reasoning tasks. And those are always sort of paper based problem solving and reasoning tasks. You never, if you're having an IQ test, get confronted with a car engine or a washing machine that's leaking and you're not told to kind of sort that out. It's very much more about these kind of very abstract sort of problem solving skills. And those tests were originally developed in France by a couple of people called Binet and Simone, who wanted to be able to identify which children might need a bit of extra academic support. And so the kind of paper-based problem-solving and reasoning skills that they used were, I suspect, quite relevant for the tasks that they were using them for. However, those tests became much, much more widely used often used in cultural contexts that weren't relevant. They've been used to support eugenics, all sorts of horrendous things. At one point, I think it was in West Virginia, there was a law passed that meant that people who scored lowly on IQ tests could be sterilised, which is just horrendous. 
educationally these days the idea really is that your intelligence can be measured by the number of GCSEs that you get and what grades they are so whether you get a grade 9 or what used to be a grade A or a grade A star and as Ken Robinson points out in one of his TED talks I have to say Ken Robinson's TED talks are absolutely brilliant and a really good listen and give a really good insight into education and how that system kind of isn't really suited to the modern day but anyway that's a bit of an aside but as Ken Robinson points out within education there is very much a hierarchy of topics. So we prize most greatly English and then maths and then next comes kind of science but we prefer sciences that require numbers so biology and psychology don't quite come quite so high up and then humanities and then the sort of more practical things like maybe sport or dance or woodwork maybe and if you do well in the things that come higher up the hierarchy you can kind of come out of education feeling really good about yourself whereas if you struggle with those things but maybe you're good at sort of more uh, practical stuff sometimes that more practical stuff doesn't even get a look in in your education and so you come out feeling once you've been ranked by the system as if you're not really very good as if you don't have as much to contribute as some other people and it's a really that is a really really warped way of looking at things but if you have struggled because of that way of looking at things and ranking intelligence, then I really think it's worth taking a moment to examine what we think about intelligence and criticising it a bit, really, because I don't think it makes an awful lot of sense. One of the lenses to look at this through is this idea of multiple intelligences. So there was a guy called Howard Gardner, and he was in the States as a Harvard professor and educational psychologist. And he really said, well, actually, there is not just one way to be intelligent. So the question is not, are you intelligent? The question is, in what way are you intelligent? And you could just say, what are the talents and the skills that you've got? But framing it in terms of intelligence, I think, can be quite helpful if you have come out of a situation feeling that intelligence is something to be valued and it's something that you don't have because you haven't had the kind of narrow band of skills that education has been good at assessing. So Howard Gardner came up with a number of different sorts of intelligence. And what I'm going to do is just talk very briefly about each of the different kinds of intelligences that he identified. And I wonder how many of these you would identify with. So the first kind of intelligence that he identified was what he referred to as bodily kinesthetic intelligence. And I have to say, this is something that I do not have a great deal of. So it's that thing where you are able to engage in skilled body movement and control and balance and hand-eye coordination. The sort of thing which enables you to hit a ball when it's coming at you and you've got a racket. So people who are good at sports and athletics, people who are naturally good at things like driving rather than needing to take their test multiple times or spend four years learning, which was much my experience. Pilots craftsmen, artists, musicians often, people who build. Uh, surgeons need this kind of bodily kinesthetic intelligence, the ability to make their body do what they want. People who engage in dance, all sorts of things. So kind of if you're doing stuff which requires a kind of a practical ability to get your body to do what you want it to, then that is a bodily kinesthetic sort of intelligence. The next sort of intelligence that Gardner talked about was musical intelligence. 
And that can be skill in performing music. It might be that you're good at writing your own songs and music. It may be that you've got an innate appreciation of music and musical patterns, an understanding of pitch and tone and rhythm, knowing how to use music to create particular emotions in the person who's listening. And that can be used for all sorts of things. You know, playing music is the most obvious one. Being able to use music as a music therapist, perhaps. DJs, sound engineers, voice coaches, instrument makers. There are lots of people who have a musical ability. And quite often that musical ability is combined with that bodily kinesthetic ability. So that not only have you got that sense of musicality, but you can also get your body to do the thing that you'd like it to do to make the beautiful music. And then the next kind of intelligence that Gardner speaks about is spatial intelligence. And this kind of spatial intelligence is that ability to create, see, envision, manipulate images and maps and diagrams in your mind's eye, and then potentially to reproduce them in physical or digital form. But things like understanding maps and how do you find your way in the world. So people who are really good at finding their way around are people with a really good spatial intelligence. Or if you're one of those people who can follow a map and keep north pointing upwards on your map and not have to kind of turn it around as you're going around the corners. If you're one of those kind of people, then you've probably got good spatial intelligence. If you can judge spaces and gaps and distances. So if you are really good at getting your car in and out of tight spaces, then you will have a level of spatial intelligence and ability. One of my sons is really, really good at this. And his party trick is that we go to a Christmas tree farm every year and he is able to walk into a field of Christmas trees that have not yet been cut down and pick one that will fit perfectly into our living room. And when I say perfectly, I mean that it will fit within an inch, literally within an inch of the ceiling. And that just boggles my mind. But that is his spatial intelligence. I cannot work out how you can look at a tree in a field and estimate in your head how well that is going to fit into a room that's four miles away and that you're not actually standing in. I would have difficulty making that judgment even if I was stood in the room with the tree, whereas my son can do it in that way, which is almost magical to me. So painters, sculptors, animators, photographers, anybody who's doing kind of architecture, I guess, is that kind of ability to envisage things spatially in the world. As I say, it's not something that I've got very much of at all, but there are people for whom that is something that they are really, really good at. And then there's linguistic intelligence. And I like this one because I'm quite good at it. But that is the ability to clearly communicate and explain ideas and facts verbally and in writing. So using words to explain the world and to express yourself. And I quite enjoy doing that and I'm quite good at it. And so that would be something that I would say is an intelligence that I do have. So people who do writing, very often people who are good at communicating, good at giving speeches, you will know people who are just very, very good at expressing themselves in words. And it's not always in writing. So you don't necessarily need to be able to write things down, but some people are very, very expressive. But often linguistic intelligence does come with that ability to put things in written form. And then there's sort of logical mathematical ability. So that ability to understand and speak in the language of numbers and formulae and understanding kind of how to manipulate those. And again, that for me is just a foreign language. Like I can do adding up and dividing and subtracting, but actually that kind of maths sense, that ability to think in terms of maths and to understand the world in that way, that's not something that I can do. But there are people who are very, very good at it.
Then there is interpersonal intelligence, and you will know people who are good at that. Those people who are just really good at reading body language and emotions, who can have empathy for people, who can understand in an innate way people's feelings and the situations that they're in. You know, there are people who are very, very good at just getting along with others and creating relationships, who know what people need, who know what they're feeling, who know how to create rapport with somebody. So often people who are really good salespeople often have very good interpersonal skills. And then there are intrapersonal skills. So that ability to be introspective, to understand your own thoughts and feelings and beliefs and values in relation to yourself and the world. So that ability to kind of understand what's going on inside of yourself. And often that intrapersonal ability can help you to describe those inner experiences in a way that can help other people to make sense of their own inner experiences. Because although they might not have been able to navigate their own inner world, if you can describe how you navigate yours and you can understand how you navigate yours, then that almost hands a map to somebody else who can then say, oh, no, no, I get that now. But it's that sort of understanding what's going on because we are a bit of a mystery. So that would be intrapersonal intelligence. Then Gardner talks about naturalistic intelligence, which is about just being able to connect with nature and the natural world, understanding the relationship between different living things, kind of getting an understanding of the environment, being able to being able to make things grow, just having an innate ability to take information and knowledge that enables you to get things to grow and get animals to thrive and to connect with animals. And again, that's not something that I have. And then there is what's sometimes referred to as existential intelligence. So the ability to think philosophically, to ask and ponder deep questions. So that ability to think about the important questions about life and the universe. So thinking way, way beyond kind of the the sort of the material realm, really. So those are the kinds of intelligence that Gardner came up with. And I think that there are lots of others and there are ways of looking at these things differently. So I think that actually there is probably as many different kinds of intelligence, if we want to use that word, as there are different people on the planet. So I hope that's given you a bit of a glimpse of some of the different ways of looking at ability and intelligence. As I say, it is absolutely not an exhaustive list. There are lots and lots of different ways of intelligently interacting with the world around us, lots and lots of them. So if your self-worth has been plagued by this idea of academic intelligence and the estimation of your ability to contribute according to a very narrow number of those different kinds of intelligence, if your linguistic and logical mathematical intelligence is lower than some of your other kinds of intelligence and you have ended up being judged by that, then I think it's time to begin to drop some of those hang-ups and really take seriously the question, not of am I intelligent, but how am I intelligent? What is the kind of intelligence that I bring to the world? So as I say, that's just a bit of a brief overview of of some of these ideas because my observation and my experience is that if you come out of our very biased academic system into a culture which 
puts a particular type of intelligence on an absolute pedestal, then it can be so easy for that to have a real rotting effect on your sense of self-worth, your sense of societal worth. And you can end up kind of ranking yourself below other people unconsciously. And my challenge really is to say, well, actually, it's time to question that. And by contrast, if you came out of education with a really good sense of what I am of deep worth because I came out with all of these exams and with this proof that I have these particular types of intelligence, then I think it possibly is time to also begin to look around at the sorts of intelligence that you don't carry with you and the ways in which other people contribute in ways that it can be possible to underestimate. So that's my thought for the day, really. And I hope that you found that useful. And remember that you have something very unique that you contribute and your worth ultimately is absolutely not decided by some very narrow cultural ideas of of what society needs. So I hope that has been helpful. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com and that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening.